Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I was listening to internet radio yesterday to a station that I had created to enjoy Christian music whenever I wanted an uplift to my soul. These frantic days wear out even the most hardy souls, would you not agree? So whenever I find a need to change, I fire up the music and bathe in its wonderful ability to recharge the batteries and restore the inner peace that may have escaped me for the moment. During this recent opportunity, they played a song that I found especially meaningful. No matter how many times I may have heard this song, this time my spirit responded especially well. I was also inspired to share the lyrics with you this morning. I'm sure it's a familiar song with you as well, but the words, again, are wonderful. Let the Spirit refresh your soul this Lord's Day morning. The song is, How Great Thou Art. Close your eyes and sing in your heart to God. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then the refrain says, Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art! When through the woods and forest glades I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, and when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, and feel the brook, and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Saviour, God to thee, how great thou art. Let's pause for a song call.
And when the next verse of this magnificent song was sung at the time I was listening, I felt my heart fill with a deep gratitude to my God for his grace and the unmerited love that he showers on us, unworthy souls. And I decided then that I wanted to share all of this with you this morning, expressed meaningfully and beautifully in the next two stanzas. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. In the last verse, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. On behalf of Nathan and Greg and all involved in producing our program, 
Please allow me to extend to all mothers and mothers-to-be our wishes for an extremely blessed and joyous celebration today. May your husband and all of God's precious gifts to you, your children, rise up and call you blessed. And to those of you who have lost such loved ones, may God's peace and compassionate love and mercy be your experience as well. Have a blessed Mother's Day. Now today, in honor of the focus we put on mothers and the family in general, I will begin a series of messages on the family that will carry through to Father's Day. I want to begin, though, with the theme, marriage, its divine purpose and devilish perversion. Marriage is the oldest institution on earth. It precedes government, business, the school, the arts, and even the military. It is society's and civilization's bedrock institution. And it is such because it is a God-created and God-ordained bedrock. Its purpose and structure are not open for negotiation or subject to cultural amendment. It is what it is because God has designed it that way. He is the maker, the designer, the creator of marriage. And every other arrangement which presumes to claim the name is counterfeit if it does not conform to this bedrock arrangement. Now, at the beginning of Genesis, itself the book of beginnings, God performed the first wedding himself. As you look at this study, at the passage, you'll see that this was a strategic event. Adam had God-given work to do, and he needed assistance. God paired the man, which in the Hebrew is Ish, and the woman, which is Ish Shah, for the task of fulfilling and subduing the earth, as is clearly spelled out in verse 28 of the chapter. Listen as I read then Genesis 1:28, reading from the New Living Translation. Quote, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. End of quote. It's sort of ironic to me that with so much emphasis on the kingdom today and the idea that we are to reign and we are to have dominion over the earth, that no emphasis is placed on the first part of this mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Without that aspect, there would be no Mother's Day to celebrate. But now it is important to note that it was never an ish, ish, or an isha, isha being paired together. Eve was Adam's helper. The Hebrew word is Ezer, the root of both Ebenezer, which means the stone of the help, and Ezra, which means help. Eve, therefore, as we shall explain as we go along, is a helper of equal worth, not Adam's servant, but rather his ally, not his slave or domestic help. Now, I believe that we have lowered God's estimate and standard of marriage today by imbibing society's concept of this divine institution without realizing the terrible consequences it has had upon us as Christians. The sad thing is that many of us have come to actually believe 
that the world's way is okay for us. Note how much we make fun out of marriage and marriage relationship during the ceremony celebrating a marriage, the reception. All the jokes are given to demean marriage rather than statements to uplift it. I believe this has made an impression upon your young people. However, as we go through this study today, for some of you, some of the concepts we will be sharing with you concerning marriage in this short series will seem to be completely off the wall, if not absolutely ridiculous as far as you're concerned. I believe this will be especially true of those of you who have not truly specifically studied the scriptures concerning marriage. It would be definitely true, however, of you who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior or who do not regard the Bible as being the Word of God. To you, I will be speaking a foreign language, but that's the nature of the Word of God. It appeals to the regenerated nature, but repels the unregenerated nature, the person who has not been born again by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. But the intent of this series of messages at this time is to put God and His Word back into marriage and family and give marriage the divine dignity originally given to it by God. The objective of the messages is to show that the purpose of marriage can only be truly realized if it conforms to the plans and provisions of God who created it in the first instance. Now isn't it amazing how few of us as Christians go to the Bible to get directions for our marriage? For instance, engaged Christians very rarely search the scriptures to see what God says about why and who and even if they should marry. And very few married couples go to the scriptures to find out how to fix a marriage when it goes wrong. Even though God is a divine maker and fixer of marriages, and the Bible is his how-to manual for those who use his product we call marriage. So an appropriate alternative description of this series of messages might be a biblical study of God's relationship to marriage and the family. So let's begin with the statement of the principle, then follow through with an exposition of the biblical passage or passages from which the principle is derived. Here is the first principle we want to work with. The overall divine purpose of marriage is to reveal what God is like and to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. Now that is a comprehensive statement. Notice there are two elements in the principle. First, marriage is to reveal what God is like. And second, it is to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. So let's begin then with the first. Marriage is designed by God to reveal what he is like. Listen to the word of God in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, notice the plural, let us make man, now that's a generic term at this stage, it means mankind, in our, notice again the plural, in our image, according to our likeness, and let them, notice again, plural, rule, and so on. Now this tells us that marriage is meant to portray 
the essential distinction between the persons of the Godhead. The next verse, Genesis 1.27, tells us that God created mankind as male and female. Notice what it says. And God created man, or mankind, this is a generic turn at this stage, in his singular own image. In the image of God, he created him. Mankind, male and female, he created them. Plural. Please note, God created a sexual distinction within the essence of a divine unity, which is the foundation and background for the marriage relationship. It consists of a union of a male and a female, an ish and an isha, not a male and a male or a female and a female. Such unions are not only a distortion of God's purpose, but also of his very nature and essence as pictured in the marriage relationship, and that is to show what he is like. Friends, listen carefully. No other union on the face of this earth can replace this and still legitimately or biblically bear the name of marriage or family. Let me give a special note to parents. Please, watch your children's textbooks at school. Educators are subtly redefining marriage and family. For instance, they're coming up now with a definition of the family that says that the family is a loving relationship between individuals. This allows for two moms or two dads, and perhaps even more. So you must be on guard and be sure to correct this to your children when they come home talking about a family simply being a loving relationship between individuals, meaning any individuals, so you can have two dads or two moms on even more. But third, it is this distinction within the unity of mankind which, in what Paul calls a mysterious way, portrays the image of God. He states this in Ephesians 5.32. But something else. Marriage is also meant and designed to portray the unity of God, not only his diversity, the fact that he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but it is also designed to portray the unity of the Godhead. Mankind is what we might call a bi-unity, made up of male and female, two distinct and separate persons. God is a triunity, made up of three distinct and separate persons. There is unity within the Godhead. There is also unity within the divine purpose of the marriage relationship. This is clearly explained in Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24. Please, hear the word of the Lord. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. End of quote. Friends, listen carefully. Marriage has a divine imprint of the triune God upon it. This is carried over into the family as well. 
husband or father, wife or mother, and child or children. A triad relationship of equal essence in nature, but with distinct roles or functions to fulfill, that when done properly, reflects what God is like. Hear the word of the Lord once again. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Because of this, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Or we could say, actually, one person again. End of quote. In other words, unity in plurality as well as in diversity. Like the members of the Godhead, husband and wife are one. And this is a tremendous truth. It's a theological truth of all, of course, but it has tremendous practical application for our marriage relationship and how a husband and wife are to relate to one another in order to please God and to honor Him. Unfortunately, our time is gone for today. We'll have to resume from this point next time. So until then, have a blessed Mother's Day, and may you experience the joy of fulfilling God's purpose of marriage in your life. As always, this is Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think, and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am 
Hare 